It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Ben Fenton. This week we're talking about the terrible events in Connecticut from last Friday and what might happen as a result in terms of changes in the American gun laws. I'm joined by Ed Crooks from New York and Richard McGregor, a bureau chief in Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, hello. Ed, can I start with you? Could you give us some impression of how this shooting in which 27 people were killed, 20 of them children in the ages of 6 and 7, has affected the United States as a whole on a kind of psychological level? Well, of course, it's been enormously shocking and and absolutely um, devastating to people here. Mass killings are regrettably not uncommon. There's a a bit of a a debate about whether they're actually becoming more common or not, but certainly they do happen from time to time here, and so people are, in a sense, inured to that. But the particular details of this one are shocking, really beyond anything that people are remotely used to or able to understand or accept the fact of the age of the children them being, as you said, 20 children aged 6 and 7 who were killed in their school during lessons in the morning is one of those things that has been, as I say, appalling the country, has had a very, very profound impact, I think, and has kind of struck people in a way that no other incident of this kind has done, certainly for a very long time. Richard, do you share that view that this is a a kind of moment, an epoch in America? As Ed said, this is not, in a way, a very uncommon event. And this year, 2012, we've already seen the shootings in Aurora, Colorado, in a cinema that left 12 dead. There was a shooting in a Sikh temple in Wisconsin. Seven people were killed. And then even earlier in the year at Oikos University in California, there were another seven dead. So do you get the feeling that this is a particular moment now? Well, it's obviously different because, as Ed said, of the children, which is difficult for anybody to process. Whether it is a moment and whether, in fact, uh, creates change or forces change in the gun laws is something we have to wait and see. The NRA, the chief lobbying organization for the firearms industry and the right to bear arms, has traditionally basically run out the clock on these things. I think they think, and perhaps they're right, that the news media and the political cycle both run very, very short. And if they wait for the outrage and the intensity and focus on the issue to die down, then perhaps they can push the issue off into the long grass, if you like. And I think that is going to be tested now under this new task force set up by Mr. Obama under his vice president, Joe Biden, whether in fact they can marshal enough political heft. At the end of the day, it's going to be political decisions. While the outrage and the anger at this incident is still there, to force effective change. And I think that'll be very difficult to get through Congress. Indeed. Obviously, there's a sort of two-level argument. There's the public outrage on the one side, which is plain and obvious for everybody to see, and then there's the political question on the other. But just before we go into that a little bit more, are you saying that you weren't surprised by the fact that the National Rifle Association, the NRA, didn't make any response to this for, what, about five days, I think? 
I think that's what they've often done in the case of big shootings, but I think they're starting to change now. I think they realise this one is different because it involves children. And they're going to have a press conference, they say, in the Washington area tomorrow. I guess they're not giving out the location yet because of fear of protesters. And also the head of the NRA, Wayne LaPierre, will appear on one of the big Sunday talk shows, Meet the Press, the NBC show, which is also very rare because the NRA disdained the so-called mainstream media. So I think they realise they can't just hold stum and have to get out there and make their case, as it were. Ed, could we look a little bit at the issue of investment in the gun industry? I think you reported earlier in the week about Cerberus, the uh, private equity company that was selling out its share in the company that made the Bushmaster rifle that was used in this awful killings. What are the issues here for the investment industry? That's right. As you say, the Bushmaster, the company that made the rifle used in the killings, is owned by a kind of collection of gun brands called Freedom Group, which was put together by Cerberus Capital Management, which is, a, as you say, a New York-based private equity firm. And it has been apparently reasonably commercially successful in, in recent years, and they had a very strong sales growth this year. But for Cerberus, clearly the negative connotations of being associated with this brand are extremely strong. It's a very damaging thing for them. And so the chain of kind of inference from people to make the leap from it was a Bushmaster gun used in the attacks, Bushmaster is owned by Freedom Group, Freedom Group in turn is owned by Cerberus. That sort of really kind of worked its way through over the weekend. By Monday, there was a very significant development, which was on Monday evening, Calsters, which is the pension fund for teachers in California, said that it was reviewing its investment in Cerberus. It turned out that Calsters was a very significant investor in Cerberus with several hundred million dollars. As a result of that, they actually owned 2.4% of Freedom Group, the manufacturer of the rifle, and the kind of the grotesque irony of teachers investing in a company that made a gun that was used to kill teachers and children in a school clearly was a very powerful issue for them. They talked about reviewing their investment within hours of them making that statement. Cerberus had decided they were going to have to withdraw from that business, and they now plan to sell their stake in Freedom Group. Now, who the buyers are going to be, I think, is an interesting question, and it's quite possible that the sale of that stake will be a long and drawn-out process because it's not immediately obvious who's going to want to rush to take that business on. And certainly, we called a large number of private equity firms during the week and saying, is this the kind of thing you'd be interested in? They all said, absolutely not. A lot of them said, even in general terms, we don't like investing in the firearms industry because of the potential for these kind of incidents, because of the fact that very often the purpose of gun making is, is to kill people. And these firms don't think that's part of their investment philosophy, their investment strategy to be involved in that kind of business. So a lot of firms said that. Other ones are saying that even if in general they wouldn't mind investing in gun manufacture, they certainly wouldn't be investing in this company. And so it's not clear how that is going to pan out. But of course, still, there are listed gun companies. Derm Ruger, which has made rifles that have been used in mass killings, has is listed on the stock market. Smith & Wesson, likewise, has made guns that have been used in mass killings. That's also listed on the stock market. They have plenty of big-name investors in any of those companies. So there's a somewhat ambiguous attitude towards this and on the part of the investment community, which I guess you could say mirrors the ambiguous attitude of the country as a whole towards guns. And again, I think it's a bit early to say whether that's really going to change and whether we are going to see 
a kind of a general revulsion of investors against taking shareholdings in gun companies. As an aside, I mean, it seems quite extraordinary sitting here in the UK that a pension fund that exists for the benefit of teachers should have been invested in that in the first place. But Richard, I'm wondering if you could you know, get your view on the political realities here in terms of law. We've heard today, I think, of calls for a tithe on guns. I think this is slightly um, dramatic language, but, but some way in which maybe some sort of tariff could be placed on certain types of weapon to make them unattractive both to people buying them, but also as an unattractive investment to sort of remove some of the money from companies that don't take a more responsible attitude to the production of weapons. Is that feasible in your view? Do you think that this is something that Barack Obama could take as a reasonable step? It sounds by itself like an odd way to approach it, perhaps even half-baked. In other words, you call it a tithe. Really, let's talk about this will be a tax on certain types of weapons to make them more expensive. But I mean, how big would that tax be? How would you define the kinds of weapons you're taxing? That's always been an issue with the issue of so-called assault weapons, which were banned, some of them, in 1994 until 2004 or so. So I think by itself, I don't think it would take a huge number of guns out of circulation. You can get a second-hand gun as well. The big political issue is Congress. The Democrats for many years have really not taken up the issue of gun control because it was a they considered a vote loser for them in particular districts and the House of Representatives. And in fact, they sought out pro-Second Amendment candidates, and they did very well out of that when they took back Congress in 2006. Now, that atmosphere is obviously changing, and so also is the Democratic base. But having said that, the Republicans still have a very convincing large majority in the House of Representatives. Many of its members are both beneficiaries of the uh, NRA campaign contributions, but I think also strong believers in the Second Amendment's uh, so-called right to bear arms. And you know, they're not really under threat in their seat from anybody except uh, people on their right, if they have safe seats. So it's hard to see how the House in particular, and also many Democrats, are going to be marshaled to vote for some really strong anti-gun legislation. In effect, you're saying that there's not much that can be done on a political basis. I'm just uh, being sceptical about the ability to do this. You know, it may require a particular effort by President Obama He has never been very good at persuading and horse trading with Congress, for starters. And he's also investing all his political capital right now in the budget, which is another nasty fight and dears him even less to many Republicans. You mentioned the assault gun ban there, Richard, and I covered the Columbine shootings in 1999 when the assault ban was in force. It didn't stop that happening and many other... I was just actually wondering if I could ask Ed Crooks, is there any evidence that banning these weapons, which are very difficult to get hold of in most uh, European countries, would actually make any difference to the level of gun deaths in the United States? It's not entirely clear. Certainly the gun ownership did decline during the period of the assault weapons ban, which lasted from 1994 to 2004. Whether there was a connection, though, it's a bit hard to tell. The issue, as I think Richard was alluding to, is that, in fact, the assault weapons ban as drafted was extremely ineffective. And the way it worked was that it covered certain kind of listed models of gun very specifically, and also guns that had a particular range of features. And it was actually turned out to be pretty easy for manufacturers to make guns that were not specifically named on that list and didn't have the specific features 
things to do with bayonet mounts, I think, and pistol grips and various other things. You could make guns that were very, very similar to those and just as powerful, just as lethal, but that didn't actually have those specific features and weren't listed by those specific model names, and so they could be bought entirely legally. And it's actually one of the striking facts about Connecticut, in fact, where these terrible shootings occurred, is that Connecticut still had in place a ban on assault weapons very similar to the federal one, and again, which listed features that you weren't allowed to have and specific types of gun that you were not allowed to own. But the Bushmaster rifle that Adam Lanza used in the killings was not covered by that ban. That was an entirely legal gun that he had, even though it was very similar in essential respects to the kinds of guns that were banned. So if there was to be a ban, if it was to be remotely effective, it could not be just a revival of the assault weapons ban that was in place from 94 to 2004. It would have to be much more broadly defined, I think. Otherwise, would be similarly ineffective. Richard, lastly, outside of the States, I think it's very difficult for people to understand the psyche that you know, appears to value the Second Amendment, a piece of legislation written during a time when the Americans had no standing army and were fearful of British invasion, something dating back to the 1790s, over, as it would appear, the lives of their children. I mean, given the degree to which Americans value the Second Amendment, it seems, can anything be done to change this situation and to prevent another Newtown shooting from taking place? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, there's, as you say, there's a, the ability to buy and carry arms is embedded in the eyes of many constitutionally. It's embedded in the system culturally. It's embedded in the system politically. It's an issue which crosses all manner of boundaries, if you like. It's not just a left-right issue, although certainly Republicans are much more likely to be gun owners and support the Second Amendment. So I'm not optimistic about, you know, the U.S. gun culture changing quickly at all. Well, that's a sombre note on which to end. But Ed Crooks in New York and Richard McGregor in Washington, D.C., I thank you very much indeed for joining me on World Weekly. And hopefully you'll be able to tune in to the next World Weekly. Thanks very much indeed. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.